Good evening, everyone. It's nice to see you here at Grace Church tonight. And we're glad that you could join us here on campus. Those of you that are here, welcome. Turn to your favorite neighbor, give them a little fist bump, tell them you made it. There you go. Those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we're glad that you're with us too. And you can give yourself a fist bump and say you made it. And there you are. But it's great to see all of you here tonight. I want to make just a few announcements this evening before Pastor comes. We have quite a few, so um, give us your attention. First of all, we want to remind you this coming Saturday, finally, from 4 to 7, we will have family night, and we're really looking forward to that. Brother Ben and I were just talking about all of the chili that we're going to enjoy eating, so I hope you all do a good job. Also, uh, Sunday, November 7th, we will be honoring our veterans in our service, and also uh, this coming Sunday, uh, Brother Stephen Collins will be our guest speaker in our 11 o'clock service. Really want to pay attention to this one. Daylight savings time ends Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Make sure you fall back. Make sure you fall back. This is the one I like. I like this one. I like the fall back. I'm not a big fan of spring forward. You just keep falling back. Just keep doing that one. That'll make me happy. And then also Saturday, November 13th, will be an election. And as you know, Grace Church serves as a polling location. So keep those things in mind. And as always, you can be up to date with things going on here at Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on the events tab of the website. Oh, I've got one more. Goodness gracious. Please, uh, as we near the end of the year, make sure that the church office has updated addresses and contact information as we get ready to send out end of the year financial statements. It's important that we have that information correct. So if uh, your information has changed, please make sure that you get that updated into the church office very quickly. Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Thank you, Brother Cooper. Great to see everybody here tonight. Uh, thank you so much for being here on uh, Wednesday night for Bible study. Glad to have you on campus. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I just have a, two more announcements. We love announcements here at Grace Church, don't we? Apparently not. <laughs> um, we're really excited about this coming Saturday. Uh, family night outside and uh, Sister Landry needs some help with uh, setting up tables and such and uh, she needs about five or six men that would volunteer to meet her here at 2.30 Saturday to uh, help her do that. If you can do that, would you let her know as soon as possible, even if you're watching live stream uh, right now and can be here Saturday to help her out, just shoot her a text, an email, let her know. And uh, she would deeply, deeply appreciate it. When she gets to about 10 men, she'll probably tell everybody that, hey, we got enough, and uh, that'll work with that. So, uh, but thank you so very much for that in advance. It is muchly appreciated. And uh, for those of you that may not know, we would like to take this opportunity to congratulate uh, Nate and Courtney. Uh, their little boy was finally born uh, on Monday. And uh, we extend to them very warm and sincere congratulations. And uh, they finally decided to tell everybody what they were going to name him. Uh, 
they waited, you know, three or four weeks after he was born to go ahead and reveal that. And, uh, uh, but his name is Avery Allen Henson. And uh, we congratulate them. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and get this over with right now. Avery Allen Henson. There's just something about his name that makes you go, ah. So we got that out of the way. Everybody can, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> kind of slow over here on the right side of the church. Anyway, it's, it's all right. It's all good. Uh, thank the Lord. But we congratulate them. Very happy for Nate and Courtney. Beautiful baby boy. That's going to no doubt bring a lot of joy and happiness to their family and to them. And we're very excited about that. Thank the Lord. Do remember service Sunday. We're expecting a great time in the Holy Ghost Sunday. And I believe God's going to do some great, great things. We've asked Brother Ben to teach tonight and uh, to bring to you whatever God has given to him. And uh, let's give him some appreciation as he comes right now to talk to us from the word of the Lord. hand clap of praise to the Lord. He's the one that deserves it. All right, let me put him back on. I need him. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see you tonight. I appreciate being uh, able to minister to you and, and speak to you. It's been a little while, and I, uh, I'm really interested in in tonight's uh, lesson or message, whatever you want to call it, it's really a simple Bible lesson. Um, but when it's viewed, I believe in its entirety, I believe that it can lend some, uh, some context to some specific stages of our, of our relationship with God. And I normally don't talk about, Sister Casey, when, when the Lord gives me a message. Uh, I love it when he does, because you don't want me coming up here and coming up with something on my own. A few Sundays ago, we were worshiping, and within that, that worship set, and I believe that God can certainly speak to us when we are worshiping him. It puts you in the right frame of mind. The Lord spoke to me as I was doing my worship thing over there, and this is what kind of what he, he wants me to tell some specific person or persons that's hearing this message tonight. I know it's a Wednesday night, and it may be a little odd what I'm going to talk about. I'd like to tell somebody that you are, you are not defective. You're not defective. I don't know what you've been hearing. I don't know what you or who you've been listening to. But you're not defective. And you're not broken in the sense that you cannot be used or be productive in the kingdom of God. You are simply in a place of transition. You see, I, I believe in, in, in a kind of a, a saying that we have here at Grace, and that is God is, God is a plan and it's good and you're in it. But I want to make a, an addendum to it and change it just a little bit tonight. See, I believe God has a plan, it's good. It is good. But you may not always know where you are in his plan for your life. You may not always know where you are. And I hope by the end of this lesson or this message tonight that you're going to appreciate your position a little bit differently and look at it in, in the context of God's plan for your life. We're going to extract this message from 
Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read that for you tonight. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. I'm going to reveal something to you, Jeremiah. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And before we begin to study in depth or in attendant to the study of our text tonight, we need to establish a few things about human nature. I love watching people. I'm very interested in human nature. It's fascinating and can be a little tiresome. But I appreciate it in the context of what God does for us. There are certain things that affect our appreciation of just what it means to walk or be in relationship with Jesus. A lot of times we think that being in relationship with Lord is, is the process of salvation and then we move along from there and we don't really give much thought to what God's doing in our lives. But when you enter into relationship with God, God is really interested in you. And he puts a lot into you. And the Lord really doesn't let things slip. One of the things about human nature that we do need to appreciate and understand is, is that we at times can see the big picture. I'm kind of a big picture person. Thankfully, my wife is a detail person. That'd be in a lot of trouble. Got a lot of big pictures, but she's the detail person, so those, she helps bring those things to fruition. So one of the things that we have uh, in human nature is that we, are a, we can see the big picture. However, although we can see situations from a distance in a somewhat dispassionate manner, it is incredibly difficult for most human beings to accomplish this while they themselves are in the situation. I can look at you and ascertain just what's going on in your life. I can dispense with some wisdom as long as it's going on in your life and not mine. We can look into someone else's life while they are struggling with, with something or their walk with God is they're, they're struggling with some aspect of it. And we, and we can objectively see the big picture as it pertains to them. That dispassionate, objective, macro view suddenly gets really, really hard when it's our life that's entered a season of chaos or dysfunction. We can quote the word. We've memorized scripture and we can quote them, especially to those around us, our brothers and our sisters, when we observe their difficulty. One of the ones we love to Quote is, 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 is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord 
You see the person faltering. They're having difficulty. You can tell they're struggling. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not upon thine own understanding. Acknowledge him in all thy ways, Brother Jason. He's going to direct your path. And I can leave you with that nugget of wisdom and walk away. Or I can quote Romans chapter 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together. For good to them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. I can, I can look at you and I can see the difficulty. You may tell me something, but I can impart that gift of the word to you. And walk away. But please understand me when I say that I'm not trying to diminish the truth of those scriptures. I'm not trivializing the relevance of the Holy Word of God and their ability to restructure our perception and bring clarity to our lives. Those scriptures are true. They're accurate. We need to incorporate them into our lives. But there is a simple truth, and this is it. When you're in relationship with Jesus, and you've been walking that path for a period of time, the truth is encountering life-altering turmoil can still shake your faith. It can make it difficult to come to church. It can make it difficult for you to function within the context of your calling. It can make it difficult to pray for someone that needs it at the altar or someone that needs it in your home or your co-worker. It can make it difficult for you to, to function as the image of God wherever you live. That's just the truth. Some who have encountered this dynamic suddenly feel betrayed because their lives aren't progressing as they feel it should. They have created in their minds a particular narrative that the Lord really can't deviate from. That's why it shakes their faith so much. Lord, this is how I believe that my life is supposed to go as I serve you. I've constructed in my mind. You can, you can educate me and, and mold me using job promotion and good health and healing and prophetic word. You can do those things for me, but I, I really don't want you using any other method to work on me. And when God does that, we may at times become a little resentful. Sometimes, however, for whatever reason, things actually do deviate from that acceptable template that has been created in that, in that individual's mind, in our own minds. And in those moments, it's sometimes difficult to stop and to do a self-assessment and start applying biblical principles and trusting in God. It's sometimes difficult to stand back from the situation, the chaos of your life, the frustrations of your life, the lack of movement in your life, and think of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. All of a sudden, that becomes a theory in our life rather than an applicable truth. And the ground becomes a little unstable. And we wonder, 
Does God still even love me? Does he know I exist? And I feel in my heart that that's going through some of your minds. It has nothing to do with the circumstances of the world necessarily. It's real personal for you. Even though we think this, even though we have read the spoken words of Christ himself declaring the reality of life when he said these things I have spoken to you in John 16 and 33 that in me ye may you might have peace in the world you shall have tribulation the Lord warns us at that very moment be of good cheer I've overcome the world why is it so difficult to remain grounded in the reality of God. Why is it so difficult, especially when your boat moving around too much and the sea's a little turmoil, there's some turmoil in the ocean around you. Why is it so difficult? I believe for a few reasons. Because our perception, number one, our perception is occluded by the circumstances. We can't see past what's going on in our lives right now. Very simple. There is suddenly an immediacy and an urgency associated with the issue. It's not distant. It's not in someone else's life. It's in my life. In the moment of the trial, our spiritual objectivity is overshadowed by the pain or the frustration or the simple, like I said, the lack of movement in our lives. Biblical principles can in these moments, in moments where their appreciation and application are most necessary, they can become relegated to the dangerous position of theory in our lives. Even though we've been around Pentecost for years and even though we had a dynamic conversion process, all of a sudden those things that we've read and we've tried to memorize, when things aren't going like we expect them to, all that stuff runs the risk of being relegated to simple theory. We unintentionally start casting about ourselves for answers and, and solutions for what we feel. Forgetting who we really are. Forgetting that we are not simply aware of God. We're not just aware of Him in a technical manner. We're actually His children. We inadvertently marginalize the very thing that we have been gifted with the very thing that would lend context to our situation is that is the presence of God and his word, the truth of his word. We become fixated on the right now issue, discounting the previously accomplished work of God that has already manifested in our lives. It's difficult to fully appreciate all those things that God has done in our lives when we don't feel he's doing anything right now. 
I can look back into your life and I can see healing and, and restoration and power and the movement of God. I can see that in your past. But when, it's, when that situation is right now in your life, it's difficult to extract from that the faith that you may need to remain steadfast with the Lord right now. children of Israel, they always fascinated me in in that they had the miraculous hand of God manifested on their behalf numerous times. And yet, at each new hurdle, at each new testing, they acted as if they didn't even know who he was. These people had generations of the move of God in their lives. Their very identity was imparted to them by the Lord. They were extracted from bondage by the miraculous hand of God. And yet time after time after time, when when the going got rough, they began to cast about themselves and wonder why they were in this situation. During times of, of trying or testing, or simply the perils of life, we have the tendency to compartmentalize our spiritual lives into a secondary position. We put our game face on. We begin to look at our capabilities, and we start to look for solutions that don't include God. This fixation on condition and the attendant minimization of God's presence creates a barrier to the very being that has designed and implemented his plans in your life. I'd like to underscore the importance of that last statement. We create a barrier between us and the being, the entity, that has designed a plan for us and implemented that plan. But he may not have told you just where you are in the execution of it. And that's kind of our problem sometimes. Kind of brings me to the second reason we have difficulty trusting and relying on the Lord at certain times. That is, we as individuals live with a certain level of agency in our own lives. We do. We conduct our existence normally with a clearly understood level of self-determination. We raise our children to be independent people. I, I, was, I was raised by an individual who was a World War II veteran. There were, I cannot think of anything the man could not do. Uh, I, I, I've seen him create parts for an antique tractor on, with just some metal lying around his shop, some delicate parts for the engine, and put them in there, and it worked perfectly. I was like, my father's a sorcerer. I don't know how he did that. It's incredible. I just saw a man do amazing, amazing things. He raised me to be an independent-minded person. So I, I do clearly understand that we are raised and 
and talked to have a certain level of self-determination. The parameters really are usually, the parameters of our lives are usually set by the reach of our own hands and the extension of our own wills. We say to ourselves, I, I, I want this, whatever this may be, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this. So if I want this, I need to be disciplined in a certain way and do this, or X, and I need to do Y, and I need to do Z. And if I do those things appropriately, then I'm going to acquire whatever I want. Our traditional cultural ethic, the deeply rooted psyche of our nation, discourages dependence. And really, there's nothing, nothing necessarily wrong with that until that mentality bleeds over into our connection to God. You are designed to be dependent on God. You see, we know how to make and we know how to implement plans in our own lives. We, we know how to assess our progress. And this is important. We know how to assess our progress in those plans. We have accurate measures to help us determine our place in relation to where we started and where we want to finish. I'm a big list person, and I, I, I'm all the way down to the little check marks that I put on my list so I know where I'm at in doing what I need to do. I check them in the morning when I get up. I, I have to know what I, what I need to do. It's, you, you don't seem that impressed. I'm telling you, that's impressive for me. <laughs> Be impressed. This mentality, however, puts the control directly in our hands, which is where we're most often comfortable with it, isn't it? To be dependent, by its very definition, means to relinquish control, and we'd all, we really don't like that feeling. Because we have an innate resistance to the submission to, or even the acknowledgement of, an exterior superior force in our lives. Part of the reason for this, I believe, is a fundamental suspicion towards authority. We have that. We have become cynical as a society towards any entity which tries to extend its will into our lives, especially if that exertion of power causes us personal discomfort or is disruptive to our plans. This opposition to that external power is usually born from experiences of abuse. We suffered, or we know someone who has suffered, and so we, we are suspicious of and ultimately resistant to that external power. This is a real problem. Because we can unwittingly extend this cynicism toward, toward worldly power onto Jesus. And this is a big problem that we have. We like to project the deficiencies of man, the things that we know. We like to extend those and project those onto God. We reduce God in our view to something as fragile as the person next to us. We have a propensity to take these 
reasons what I just spoke of and apply them to our spiritual lives. We, when we do this, we forget some very important thing. We forget that God is sovereign. He has all power. And when he orders the progress of our lives, he doesn't always show us why things are happening. And that really gets to the heart of what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. We want to know. When it gets right down to it, we want to know why this is happening to us. Whatever it may be, whatever's going on in your life, you want to know because you've lived for God for a long time. And this turmoil, this chaos, this problem that you're dealing with, you don't think it's fair that you have to go through it because you've lived for God for so long. I understand. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, we are simply instructed, simply instructed to have confidence and faith in him and his plan. The title of my message tonight is Confidence in the Potter's Plan. So who is the potter? This brings us back to our text. Jeremiah provides us with the powerful imagery of the potter and the clay. To appreciate the beauty of our scriptural, our scripture text, we we need to understand a few things about its author and its context. Jeremiah was considered the weeping prophet. He had the weeping prophet. He had the unenviable position of, of dealing with a recalcitrant people. They did not appreciate their relationship with God. The book of Jeremiah is one of the major prophetical writings of the Old Testament. The man Jeremiah was a Judean prophet whose activity spanned about 40, 45 years in Israel's history. For the majority of this time, Jeremiah based his ministry out of Jerusalem and he would go out and speak to these people who were time after time after time resisting and rebelling against God. Just for the context, for you to understand where he was, the southern kingdom of Judah fell during Jeremiah's prophetic ministry having been threatened for many years by the external powers of Assyria and Egypt and by their eventual conquerors, Babylon. The true problem is, the true problem was, however, it was not in the external threats. Because Jeremiah found himself addressing a nation moving toward judgment from God. The Israelites may have been anxious about their future as they as their enemies drew near, but rather than respond with humility and repentance, those people chose to follow their own counsel, disregarding both the Lord's commandments and the increasing danger that resulted from their disobedience. They didn't listen. They were a nation who rejected their place within the matrix of God's design. They forged their own path based upon their own determination of what suited their needs and their distorted desires. They were a people who existed because of the expressed desire of God and who were meant to move through time within the plan and design of the Lord. The 
that they had a tremendous difficulty in doing this faithfully. They often rejected God's way for their own. We know about the, the history of the children of Israel. It was given to us for instruction. For instruction in our lives in, 2000, in, in 2021. Their decisions were willful and deliberate and were anchored in the need for emotional and carnal fulfillment. They were a people with a common history that was rich in the presence of God, and yet they chose a path that willfully drove their God to the periphery of their lives. To bring it down to us, they went to church. They went to church, but there was an inherent flaw in the clay. And that flaw, that, that deficiency, that problem caused them to time and time again not fulfill the expectation and design of God in their lives. They were a, this is the people that God used Jeremiah to speak to. They were in the hands of God. They were in the hands of God, yet within them there existed those flaws. The, the Lord did not, and this is something that you have to understand, the Lord didn't hate those people. He simply tried time after time to extricate those flaws from them. And that is a sometimes painful process. But it's necessary for the children of Israel to truly manifest their calling. For them to be the image of God as they were intended to be among the nations that they, that they lived around, the Lord had to remove those things that, that were in them that hindered them from the realization of His will in their lives. This has to happen in our own lives. And sometimes when that happens, it's painful. The unique aspect of Jeremiah's ministry is that he, and I love this, he used to present God's word and God's will and with unique visual aids. I'm not going to go through all of them tonight. He used, at one time, two baskets of figs. He held up two baskets of figs for the people. One had, was filled with beautiful, sweet, ripe fruit, and the other was filled with decaying rotten fruit and he held it up and kind of put it in their face and rubbed it in their face and made them understand that hey this this is what God sees this is what this is what you should be and this is what you actually are there was no ambiguity about his message you think preachers can be rough at least you don't have Jeremiah talking to him he buried at one time a linen girdle or a belt and he dug it up and and used it. It was, it was dirty and full of holes. And, and he used it to teach God's people about their condition in the Lord's sight. Another time he carried a wooden yoke on his neck and, and his shoulders to indicate the oppression of external forces as a result of Israel's rejection of God. Our text, however, is not pulled from those experiences. Our text is different in that it reveals more about God than it does about His people. And it provides us with context for our journey 
through God's plan and vision for his people's lives. Let's read it again. Verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the, the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the, on the wheels. He was, he was busy creating something. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again. He took that same piece of clay, and he made something else. Another vessel has seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do to you as this potter, saith the Lord. When we look at this narrative, we immediately appreciate the assertion of God's sovereignty in the lives and existence of his creation. That's what people normally gravitate to as far as an interpretation of that particular passage of scripture. And it's not wrong. It's just not complete. The supremacy of his might and power is obvious within the text. This truth is incredibly important to our spiritual lives. It's not something we should simply acknowledge as true and simply move on. If we can understand God's supremacy and power, it can change our perception of what occurs in our lives. All of a sudden you won't feel so overwhelmed. Yet to appreciate the implications of all the other things asserted in verses 3 through 6, we need to understand what was common knowledge to those ancient people. We need to understand a few things about the potter depicted in that scripture. The imagery used by the Lord in this passage of scripture is it's very specific. I pay attention to the language of the Bible. It's important to me. I try not just to read through it and check off a box. God tries to tell us things. We need to stop and listen. So the imagery is very specific. The language evokes a mental picture that expresses a truth about God that encompasses His sovereignty but extends beyond that. The obvious appropriate comparison between God and the potter is established by God himself within the, within the text. But when you research the profession of the potter, you begin to understand the commitment of the potter to the clay. You begin to see that passage of scripture a little differently, and it begins to lend context to the struggles of your life while you are in relationship to God. There is a connection implied between the potter and this inanimate clay that he places on the wheel. Now we live in a time when, when modern potters simply order their material from Amazon or local supplies and, and wait for them to be delivered. I, I, I'm interested in, in, in doing pottery. Some of you may laugh. I probably look ridiculous trying to create a pot on a wheel. But I'm interested in that. I'm not going dig for clay in my backyard. Brother Ben's pulling up his iPad and he's ordering it online. Forgive me. That's the way it works nowadays. In our society, there's, there's, there is little personal labor or expenditure of effort in the acquisition of the clay that will eventually be turned upon the wheel. And that's our disconnect from the Word of God. 
that causes us not to appreciate just who this potter really is and what he's doing on the wheel and how important that clay is. In those ancient times, the potter, he worked. He was not an exalted member of society. They required him to live outside the city gates because they felt that his profession was a little foul. So he was a little marginalized in the very society in which he serviced. So this man, this potter, he worked and he lowered himself to dig through the filth to find the material that he needed to bring his vision into being. That's what he did. Now remember, there is a definite correlation between the potter in this story and God. And everything I'm telling you about this potter, you need to apply it to your God while you are existing in your right now situation. Okay? Everything I've said before is to lead up to this. Some of you may say, well, you should have just started with that. Sorry. I had to get started somewhere. Okay? This process of the potter going and finding this clay and digging through this filth and finding that what, what, which he wanted to create something out of his vision, it marked him. Digging through the dirt marked him. Holding on to the clay marked him. The clay left evidence of its acquisition upon the body of the potter. When he was walking down the street, no one accused him of being a tax collector or a physician, whatever they had at the time for a physician. They knew that that man just dug in some dirt, got real dirty, and was coming, coming back to make some, some pottery. They understood who he was. The, the clay marked his body. As this man walked through the streets, they could easily see the evidence of the potter's commitment to the clay and his plan for its transformation. They understood what the residue of that clay on his body meant. They knew that something was going to be, something common was going to be transformed. They knew that what was marking his body and what was, was underneath his fingernails and what was was smeared up his arms and his legs and maybe his hair. That was the material of his dreams. That was the material of his vision that he was carrying back to a place that he could create it. We're talking about your God, ladies and gentlemen. As you sit in your chaotic situation, the residue of him acquiring you marks him. It may have been just dirt to those who walked upon it. It may have been valueless to those who would eventually benefit from its transformation. But to the man carrying the vision and the clay, it would become the expression of his will. You think that you aren't valuable, you've been lied to. 
I don't care what situation you may find yourself in. It's not that I don't care. But in comparison to what you're, how you're really valued by God, if you can appreciate it and understand it, it will transform your understanding of the place that you're in. This world, this world would like to assign a value to you. The measure used to determine your worth in this world is based upon the corrupt condition, the corrupt condition of the world itself. According to the metrics of the world, you may have been, you may have been called worthless or insignificant or small, but you have a potter whose body is marked by his efforts to acquire you. Thomas was educated in the cost of his purchase when Jesus revealed himself with, after his resurrection in John chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them, and then came Jesus, Jesus, the potter. And the doors being shut and stood, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Thomas, come see. I want you to reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithful but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus was saying, Hey, Thomas, come look at the residue of my acquisition of you. Come look how you as my clay have marked my body. You stand fixated on a condition in your life, feeling as if you've been abandoned by the Lord. You are fixated by what's happening right now, and you forget that your sovereign almighty God expended real effort to save you. You may be a lump of clay to this world. The Lord paid a price that marked his body even after it was resurrected. Even as God was using it, it's fascinating to me, even as God was using this imagery to assert his position in the context of Jeremiah, and the lives of those ancient Israelites, he was pointing forward in time to his atoning sacrifice on the cross. He knew what he was saying to Jeremiah. You may be existing in a state of confusion as to whether or not God loves you because of the turmoil or the frustration or the pain in your life. But please hear me when I tell you that you are simply on the wheel of the potter and he loves his clay. You did not stumble into relationship with Jesus Christ. He deliberately and willingly worked to remove you from the filth of this world. And you are currently within his process and his plan. That's who the potter is. Let's talk about the clay. You need to understand the process of shaping that ancient clay into the vessel of the potter's vision. The clay first had to be cleaned and prepared. This process required the potter to work the impurities out of the material. This process of working changed the shape of the clay and the texture of the clay. The potter, he stretched and he pressed his clay so that the debris of what surrounded it could be removed. The integrity and the strength of the vessel was dependent upon the quality of the cleaned clay. For that vessel to withstand the rigors of daily use, no contaminants could be suspended within it. That's what's happening to you on the wheel. To appreciate the commitment and care 
of the potter to his clay. We need to view the vessel not only as if as it was in its finished form, as it was being valued by those who finally possessed it. But we need to see it from the raw beginning through the process of refinement and creation into its final form. You have to remember, ladies and gentlemen, that you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That that acquisition, however, which saves us from the eternal destruction places us not in storage, but directly upon the potter's wheel and into his process. The process of transformation for the clay in Jeremiah's narrative moves along from gathering to refinement to molding then to the intense heat of the furnace. This is a process that is mirrored within our own lives. It is a process that sometimes we don't necessarily like and we don't necessarily understand but we need to remember the commitment of the potter to the clay James confirms this sentiment whenever he said in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh perseverance or patience which brings us to those moments in our lives when we stand at a at a point where perhaps we made a mistake or or perhaps we injected our own will into the perfect plan of God in our lives. We face chaos and we face frustration or we face pain or we face difficulty. We look back and we can appreciate the Master's hand at work in our lives before. We, We see His design taking shape in our lives and then something happens. Jeremiah said he he saw a man and behold he wrought a work on the wheel and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. There is something you need to appreciate about this narrative. When you look through the lens of time at a people who possessed a heritage of God's presence but also a residue of personal failure. God is trying to tell that people, and by extension you and I, that even as the master molds his material into the shape of his vision, sometimes the material doesn't cooperate. I'm going to finish up in just a few moments. Sometimes the material doesn't cooperate. But even, this is something you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, even in these moments of failure, the potter doesn't abandon the clay. The potter doesn't abandon the clay. Jeremiah did not see this artisan, this craftsman, discard the marred clay. He didn't become frustrated. He did not see the craftsman rage against the ruined vision. He watched as that man began to remake a marred vessel into something purposeful and worthwhile. The hand of the potter remained on the vessel throughout the process. He dug it up, he dug up the clay with the intention of making it his own, imprinting something of himself upon a material not valued by someone else. He purified it to bring it to its full potential, and he remained working with it even though it was marred in his hands. 
You may not understand how God could remain with you. You may feel the burden of your own failure. But you need to remember that the hand of Jesus is still in your life. You have a future and a purpose. And you are valued by God. It may be difficult, ladies and gentlemen, to see the big picture from where you're living at the the moment. The trial may be very fierce and the failure may be very deep. Your plans may have brought pain into your life instead of progress. I need you to please take a step back from your personal turmoil and look at the potter's wheel. The master's hand It's still on you. It never left you. You have not been removed from the wheel. You are not broken beyond repair. You're simply in the process of transformation. Let's pray. Lord, we love and appreciate you tonight, dear God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you speak to the hearts of your people, Lord Jesus. Help them to incorporate this truth into their lives, to leave this place. Though they may be burdened, Lord, let them understand that you are in the process of transforming their lives. Help them to go forward, Lord Jesus, in the confidence in the potter's plan. In your precious and holy name we pray. Everyone say amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your attention.